This week on The Human Exception, I'll be talking about the Tunguska event, the biggest earth impact in recorded history that somehow only killed three people and a couple hundred reindeer. As always, be ready for some foul language and hold on to your butts. I guess it's me now mm-hmm. with the Tunguska event. Once my notes load. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to start this off with an uh, eyewitness account. At breakfast time, I was sitting by the house at Van Vera Trading Post, approximately 65 kilometers or 40 miles south of the explosion. I suddenly saw that directly to the north, over on Cole's Tunguska Road, the sky split in two and fire appeared high and wide over the forest. The split in the sky grew larger, and the entire northern side was covered with fire. At the moment, it became so hot that I couldn't bear it as, my, as if my shirt were on fire. From the northern side, where the fire was, came strong heat. I wanted to tear off my shirt and throw it down, but then the sky shut close, and a strong thump sounded, and I was thrown a few meters. I lost my senses for a moment. After that, such noise came, as if rocks were falling or cannons were firing. The earth shook. I pressed my head down, fearing the rocks could smash it. When the sky opened up, hot wind raced between the houses, like from canyons, like from cannons, which left traces in the ground like pathways, and it damaged some crops. Later, we saw that many windows were shattered, and in the barn, a part of an iron lock had snapped. So... The morning of June 30th, 1908, a massive explosion occurred over the sparsely occupied eastern Siberian taiga. It flattened 80 million trees over an area of 2,150 square kilometers or 830 square miles. This is about the size of Tokyo. And I have some pitches. Holy moly. Pitches. Oh, hot damn. Holy crap. Whoa. Oh my gosh. Holy crap. Yeah, so it just fucking decimated the area. Like a bomb went off, yeah. Within 30 kilometers, 30 kilometers of the blast, an older man was thrown, causing a compound fracture in his arm, and he died soon after. Hundreds of farmed reindeer in the general area around Ground Zero were killed, and many campsites and storage huts were scattered in the area. Um, reported, estimated, like three people maybe have died, but like maybe hundreds of reindeer. It's just the area's so sparse because we're talking about Siberia um, that it's hard to get exact numbers and people that are actually in the area weren't many. Um, and since the area is so fucking remote, it's 1908 and they have limited tools available to them, we wouldn't get an actual inst- investigation for decades. But despite that, there's been over a thousand scholarly papers written about this topic, and no one can agree on exactly what happened. So, more pictures. Just so you can appreciate the scale. So, Siberia, um, Telegeska event is marked there. Um, So, it's about the middle of Russia for people who are (laughs) looking at this at home. 
Um, the area of Detroit also equals to about the size of Greater Vancouver, just as for locals. Good Jesus. This is the province of Tunguska, and that's where the event occurred. Yeah, shit. That's a. Uh... This is a population density map, so you can see that there's like tons of dark red in Russia, and then Siberia is just nothing. Yeah, nobody yeah, there. Wow. And yeah, the nearest town was like 60 kilometers away, and that's kind of a map of it there. Jeez. And here's a satellite view of the area, which you're going to see is just all forest and swamps. And here's an illustration of the blast area. So you can see like the direction in which all the trees went. You can see it's kind of this weird, almost bird-like shape. So yeah, this is the largest impact event that was has been on Earth since recorded history. Um, and to understand wow. the magnitude of this, I need to explain to you what a megaton is. So one megaton oh, represents God. a measure of explosive force equal to a million tons of TNT. A kiloton is a thousand tons. Whoa. With that in mind, Hiroshima was 13 to 18 kilotons. The U.S. Castle Bravo test, the U.S. most powerful nuclear test that was ever done in 1954, was 15.2 megatons. The Tunguska event is estimated to be between 20 to 30 megatons. Oh my God. The only other event that we ever have that we've been recorded that's bigger than that was the Russian Soviet Russian test of the Tsar Bomba test in 1961, which measured at 50 megatons. And the maximum of the mushroom cap that formed was like 95 kilometers across or 59 miles wide. And they claimed that the their like their calculation stuff, they could have gone up to 100 megatons, but decided that fallout would be too disastrous <laughs> to the world if they tried it. Wow. Oh, my God. So the province where this, cur- this occurred um, is an area of 23... 23- 2,300,000 square kilometers or 900,000 square miles. It's about the size of the Congo with a population of, about, of just under 3 million. So it's about 0.82 kilometers to person or 0.32 miles. Where we look at like Albania, oh yeah, there's 0.001 kilometers per person because there's just so much like population density. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the Congo is 0.03. So like just this area this is like there's nobody you can every person can have a mile or i guess a, a third of a mile and uh one kilometer to yourself Jeez. so yeah the nearest village was 60 kilometers away or 38 miles called vanavera which really only became a town in 1932 prior to that it was just like a trading post as a base for the herders and the hunters that live in the area so what exactly happened there are over 700 testimonies that we have coming from a variety of sources and remote villages. By aggregating this information, we're able to paint a bit of a picture. So before the first signs, a police sergeant nearby became nauseous, the same way that he had had before an earthquake a couple years prior. At about 7.17 a.m., a column of blue-white light could be seen splitting the sky in, ha- in half. The light slowly descended to the surface over a period of about 10 minutes. The sky was clear other than that, except for a small, wispy black cloud that was near where the light was coming down. In some testimonies, part of the sky was filled with fire, and then the air became incredibly hot and dry. As the light got closer to the ground, it began to blur, and then ignited with a flash of light that filled the sky. At 7.43, there was a sound like thunder that rang out. Following it came a shockwave, flattening trees and breaking windows hundreds of miles away. 
And then there was an earthquake measuring at about five on the Richter scale, about the same magnitude as like the Nagasaki atomic bomb. The explosion registered on seismic stations across Eurasia and airways from the blast were detected in Germany, Denmark, Croatia, the United Kingdom, and as far away as Batavia, Dutch East Indies, and Washington, D.C. There was two more strikes of this thunder-like noise accompanied by an underground rattling sound, kind of like underground railroads. Then shockwaves tore gashes in the ground hundreds of miles away. Then for about five to six minutes, there was 50 to 60 salvos of what sounded like artillery fire, with each burst sounding a little quieter. And two minutes later was another barrage, six more thunders, and then tremors. The black cloud over the impact area slowly dissipated and was disappeared entirely by 2 to 3 p.m. Over the next couple nights in Asia and Europe, the skies glowed. Hmm. So a mineralogist uh, named Leonid Kulik um, of the Russian Meteorologic Institute is the first serious investigation that we have records of. Kulik became interested in the story when he read a newspaper claiming that passengers of a Trans-Siberian railway had observed the impact and even touched the hot meteorite. But upon investigating, found that this was a hoax. But his interest was still piqued. So he originally went and talked to people in 1921, um, but he couldn't go out to the site. So by... 1927 or so he was able to get the government to help fund his his expedition so he actually went on a full expedition he's gone back i think three times or something like that um since 1928 there's been more than 40 expeditions that have occurred to take samples from the soil rocks and trees and all of them come back with ambiguous results um leonid had aerial photos taken covering the central part of the leveled forest that the original 1,500 negatives of these photos were burned in 1975 by the order of Yevgeny Krivnov, the chairman of the Committee of Meteor- on Meteorites of the USSR Academy of Sciences, as part of an initiative to dispose of flamm- flammable nitrate film. Positive imprints were preserved for further study in the Russian city of Tomsk. But, you know, conspiracy theorists are like, oh, they destroyed the, they destroyed the negatives. <laughs> so, aliens. And here's another picture of the beautiful area that's all cleared out. This is what remains of the impact zone. Um, most of the foliage around it has grown, but this is part of where it is. They keep it kind of clear, it looks like. Um, there have been many arguments that the Tunguska event wasn't as devastated as we originally suspected. Um, foresters from the area do say that trees were old and were in rough shape, so it wouldn't have taken much force to knock them over, and the winds from the explosions would have been amplified by the ridge lines. Some of them suspect that maybe it was only a force of three to five megatons. Only. So in the 1960s, it was established that the zone of level forest occupied an area of 2100 kilometers square kilometers or 830 square miles and it was shape resembled a gigantic spread eagle butterfly with a wingspan of 70 kilometers or 43 miles and a body length in quote 55 kilometers and 34 miles so for theories well um there's a bunch one of the theories that people like to talk about is like russian testing but this happened in 1908 and russia did not test their atomic bomb until 1961 and the states didn't do a test until 1954 like a, a big test like that right so in 1908 there wasn't nuclear bombs at that time not on the scale so it's a pretty easy one to dismiss just come to the timeline alone the most common theory and most supported is that there was some kind of astral body gave us a visit we there it be a meteorite or an asteroid there are two very distinct camps that argue about this which is very 
apparently a big deal um that you know it can either be a meteorite it can either be an asteroid and they're both just really adamant that's one or the other as if this is the most important part of it basically an, a meteorite usually are small and are comprised of like stone and metal and they can come off of um sorry i meant to say <laughs> comet or asteroid different thing but yeah asteroids are often made of stone or metals whereas comets are made of like ice and dust that's been compacted together meteorites can come off both asteroids and off of comets but the idea was being that and if an asteroid were to come that it would burn up in the atmosphere most of them burn up before or comet <laughs> burn up in the atmosphere before they actually hit the ground just because they're made up of such volatile and like fragile materials whereas asteroids and meteorites um they can hit the ground it's just a lot of the ones that get flung at earth are too small that they burn up in the atmosphere as well we very rarely get any that actually hit ground um so here's what we know there no impact impact site has ever been found there's been a couple false positives like they've drained swamps because they thought it was in there and uh one turned out just to be a stump a, a guy in the area was hiking about and uh he found this boulder, which uh, he creatively named John Stone because his name was John. <laughs> so I need a picture there. Um, the stone is um, considered suspect because it is made entirely <laughs> of quartz and didn't really fit into the area like none of the other. There's really no other quartz deposits in the region. It's just this giant fucking boulder. Uh, but most scientists agree that while it's weird, it's not the cause. And there's also a lake that's been the center of the debate around its age as to whether or not it could be an, a potential impact site. As of 2017, scientists are saying the lake is 300 years old, so it can't be the impact site. But it's gone back and forth over decades um, about whether or not, oh, it's is it this old or is it that old? Is it within range that it could have been or not? They can't, they can't decide. Huh. Um, the latest theory as of May this year is that no bodies actually hit Earth, but instead a large iron meteor grazed Earth and curved away without breaking up. It's mass and momentum carrying it back to space. And scientists ran simulations of what they found was that no comet could have pulled this off. Only an iron asteroid larger than 100 meters or 328 feet could survive without getting fractured. This model would put the asteroid coming as close as within 10 kilometers or 6 miles of the Earth's surface. So real fucking close. Um, they believe that this asteroid was somewhere between 100 meters or 328 feet to 200 meters to 656 feet and hurtled through the atmosphere at about 72,000 kilometers per hour or 45,000 miles per hour. The meteor would have lost some of its mass on its trip, but due to the speed and temperature, it would have escaped as gas and plasma and that would have dispersed in the air and appeared nearly identical to other Earth metals. One thing is they've never found evidence of a meteor there's been no actual material in the area that they found that looks like space rock so that's one of the things that also that pushes against the asteroid comet theory is just there's just no body that was found so either yeah like it burned up and explode exploded like in the air and such to such fine particulate that nothing came nothing of any notable size came down or that yeah it just kind of swooped into the atmosphere and just and went off again another just another researcher discredits this saying that if it just grazed earth there's no way so much damage would have been done and it wouldn't match the radial pattern of the fallen trees yeah because it looks like an impact right like that's... Mm -hmm. yeah it does like the you see like the force of it did go outward there's a radial pattern um so it looks like something hit right there but like i said no crater has ever been found 
something that big you think would have left the hole. Um, there's a couple other natural events that some people believe could be the cause. One is a gas explosion. Um, astrophysicist astrophysicist Wolfgang Wolf Hunt had proposed that the Tunguska event was caused by the release of a subsequent explosion of 10 million tons of natural gas from within the Earth's crust. The natural gas leaked out from the crust and rose to its equal density height in the atmosphere. From there, it drifted downwind in a sort of wick, which eventually then found an ignition source, source such as lightning. Once the gas was ignited, the fire streaked along the wick and then down to the source of the leak in the ground, whereupon there would be an explosion. Um, you know, bubbles of gas have been observed in lakes of Siberia, but the methane comes from rotting organic matter buried in the frozen soil of taiga, not from deep underground. Um, but there's no evidence of like a, you know, blown out cavern or anything. Um, and the weather was perfectly clear up until the time, time of the event. There was absolutely no accounts of it being stormy or anything. There wasn't really a cloud in the sky. Hmm. Um, another theory proposed by the same guy is that um, it could be because of volcanic rock that is uh, called kimberlite, which is best known for holding diamonds. And this could be to blame. Basically, it would have come from the molten earth some 3,000 kilometers deep or 1,800 miles. The natural gas would be stored as a fluid that was that deep. And when it reached the surface, it would become gas and expand by a factor of 1,000 in volume for a huge explosion. And for, as for evidence, he cites some chemical anomalies and the pattern in which the trees fell. So this is you know, also possibility similar, similar in line as... The other one, this one just kind of comes from more of a volcanic source, but there really isn't any active volcanoes in the area. So it would have been had to come from deep underground and apparently left no trace. And then the last of the natural events is a black hole. In 1973, American <laughs> physicists proposed that a small black hole collided with our planet, causing a matter-antimatter explosion in the Earth's atmosphere. Really, the only evidence that I got of this I could find is I found a paper full of mathematic equations and physics beyond my comprehension. <laughs> but that's really the only thing there is. There's no one else that's really gone into it. But there are a group of scientists that really, really believe this. Now to the fun stuff. Aliens. So there's this uh, engineer, sci-fi writer guy named Alexander Kessenso. Kensisov's Russian names. Um, he wrote a story in which the Tungaska blast was caused by exploding nuclear power plant from a, from a spaceship of, from Mars. Um, he, this is an author, and a bunch of people ended up mistaking his novelization as actual stories from the events. So there are people, it's kind of a bit of the uh, War of the World situation where there's people who mix up the facts from the book and from the real event. Uh, but yeah, his thing was entirely obviously fictional. But in August 2004, a group of scientists claimed to have found debris of a spacecraft in the area. The group is called the Tunguska Space Phenomenon Foundation and is led by Yuri Levin. I found a bunch of reports of the fact that they reported that they found something, but nothing after that. So <laughs> if they found something, they didn't really ever show it to anybody. Are you guys familiar with the star child or the term humalians? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. <laughs> We're not, we're not talking about Kiss, Yeah. Right? <laughs> no. Yes. So Siberia is said to have an inordinate amount of UFO sightings. According to the site that I was reading, I, this is the first that I've heard of it. Um, an author <laughs> named Pat Regan, who calls himself a researcher, 
has been investigating the theory of humalians, human-alien hybrids, inspired by the star <laughs> child skull that was found in Mexico in 1930. Oh my god. The skull, in case you're not familiar, this is like UFO, just like this is their prime example of like humans have visited Earth and they've interacted with, with uh, or aliens have visited Earth and interacted with humans. This, this skull, which I definitely want to do a story on Monday. <laughs> so yeah, they, this is like one of UFOologists' like big thing. So this guy was writing about humalians and he was contacted by a bookstore owner in Leeds who had heard of his book and claimed that he'd have something of interest for the author. An image from his private collection, a picture of a Siberian woman and her baby, which he claimed were descendants of human-alien relations. So he, sa- he says, this pic is very historic, taken at the turn of the century, circa 1900. Notice its particular shape. Okay, sorry, kitten, get off. You can't be there. No cat. <laughs> Notice particular the shape of the mother's head and the length of her fingers. The kid looks almost identical to the Area 51 images of aliens and could easily be the result of mating between aliens and humans. This photo is absolutely genuine, but no claims of extraterrestrial influence have been made about it before. Now I've got a picture. Yes. That is not a fake photo. I don't know what is. <laughs> oh my god. Someone oh took god. like a picture of... It could even be Siberian natives. Who knows? Oh um, and they use a smudge tool on it or something. Forgot how much I love this stuff. <laughs> so bad. It's so bad. Yeah, so... <laughs> This guy, these guys are totally into it. Um, the so Pat took looked into the Tenegaska event and a particular story of the first official expedition to the site in 1927 when uh, Leo Nidwitten checked it out. When he first made his way to the area, he'd hired a group of Avenki hunters as guides. So the events people are indigenous to Siberia, Mongolia, and China. Due to the isolation of Siberia, they've been able to live their lives mostly in isolation and undisturbed. So the Venki hunters led him out just south of where the impact site was, but refused to go any further, doing to what they call what they called was valley men, and they had no interest in going further. Hmm. So Pat posed a question to Chris Bay, which was the guy who gave him the amazing photo, um, and asked if he thought the picture had something to do with the event. And what his said was, "You've stitched together some interesting links here, and, and of course." Apart from the Tungaska impact, there have been many other meteorite hits in northern Siberia over the centuries, any one of which could have disguised the crash landing of a spaceship, if it indeed was a, scra- was a, cra- if it indeed was a crash and not a chosen landing. But my take on the photo is that the mother is herself a product of alien interbreeding from several generations previously, and we need to look for a visit anomaly somewhere between 1775 and 1800. The importance of this picture is that it seems to record alien physical traits, which will have subsequently been subsumed during later interbreeding of alien offspring with the native Siberians who make up the majority of the population. Hence, only a DNA analysis could repudiate the possibility that this picture is a proof of race of humalians living in Siberia. Oh my god. Yeah. Everything I ever wanted. Yeah. So yeah, you know, this is all very believable. <laughs> but it did make me want to look um, deeper into this whole Valley Men thing. Mm-hmm. So I began searching for information on the Valley Men. And one of the things, first things that came across is this TV show called Siberia. Have you heard of this? No. 
oh my god i need to watch this so it's a show that's um filmed as if it were a reality like a survival reality show where 16 contestants (laughs) get dropped off in the middle of siberia and then shit proceeds to go horribly wrong um this is the synopsis when 16 reality show contestants enter the remote siberian region of tunguska none of them are aware of the meteor event that took place there in 1908 or the land's mysterious past Oh After one competitor sustains an injury and no one arrives to help, the group starts to realize that the strange happenings plaguing them are not part of the show and that their lives are in danger. The, comp- <laughs> the competitors must forget about the show they signed up for and band together in an effort to ensure their survival. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So if you guys want to see something about the Tungeska event, apparently the show talks about it. I oh. have not seen this, but needless to say, I am going to watch it and I will report back. Hell yes. So, but because of this, this is uh, both great and terrible, is that, you know, since the show is kind of a cult-like popularity, there's a bunch of theories and um, personal investigation about the area and the culture out there right now. Obviously, there's going to be a bunch of shit that's just people making up from what they've seen in the show. But it's also inspired genuine interest in people who are a little more science-minded. Um, so one thing I did find, though, was this great source that was originally written by fucking... Inukantev Mikhailovich Suslov, who worked as an ethnographer and geographer in the far north of the Soviet Union, who spent from 1915 to 1928 in the Tunguska region, getting to know the Ivanki people and collected their stories into a book that he published in 1930. Oh, wow. So naturally, this was all in Russian, but in 1983, the book was translated into German, and then recent years... A guy named Joachim Otto Habak and a bunch of his friends decided to translate it into English for their Cosmic Events website. <laughs> so, yes, nerds on the internet. Um, so the original author had questioned the events people about the Tunguska event, but they were notoriously tight-lipped eventually, until eventually relenting this story. So for a long time, the Tungus clans feuded. Eventually, this hostility resulted in shamans from each tribe sending evil spirits cursing each other with diseases. One of the shamans called upon Agdi to destroy the enemies. Agdi is the, in the Avex tongue means thunder, but is also used to describe the Lord of Thunder as well as all the thunderbirds that come down to earth and cause thunder. The birds are large and made of iron with fiery eyes. The thunder rises from their flight above the earth and their eyes flash like lightning. In the early morning of June 30th, 1908, a legion of Agdi flew down upon a Shanganer clan and it brought disaster to many families. Some tents flew into the air, higher than the forest, and people sleeping inside suffered from bruises. 250 reindeer vanished without any trace. Hmm. Other other Tungus dogs and uh, some reindeer were killed. The storage platforms with bread and equipment were destroyed. The forest, a real ancient taiga, was flattened within a few seconds to an expanse of approximately 10,000 kilometers squared. There was tremendous thunderous noise, which caused crevices in the earth. Now, many Tungus believe that only the Agdi can live in that area since the catastrophe. Um, It has already been 20 years since then, and still nobody dares to turn up to this area. And that's when he... That's what he said at the time. Okay. I don't know how much of the Menke people are still alive now, if they still believe in this thing, but yeah, according to them, they don't want to go there because there's metallic thunderbirds that will destroy you. It's like some Horizon Zero Dawn shit. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, but that sounds amazing. Right? Like, <laughs> these guys are baller. So, that was really cool. 
Um, as for other ideas, um, like I said, there are some just ridiculous stuff that I don't even mention just because <laughs> people get crazy <laughs> about this shit. But the final one that I yeah. will mention, just because for the lulls, is um, the cause could have been Nik- Nikola Tesla. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so it was Nikola Tesla. He uh, had a, te- a death ray. So this is a man who pioneered radio and modern alternating current. And he's often seen as a mad scientist. But one story alleges that he test fired a death ray on the evening of June 30th, 1908. And once he found out about the Tunguska event, he dismantled the weapon, deeming it too dangerous to remain in existence. Oh my goodness. Another theory kind of says that Tesla was working on a wireless torpedo system known as the Tello Automatron. The thought being that he was being pressured by the U.S. military to use his genius for war. But the event in T- Tunguska caused the military to back out and cover the whole thing up. Hmm. Um, this theory is also su- is uh, yeah. this theory is also supported by the Assassin's Creed universe. Well, that was um, unexpected. Yeah, so, that's. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, what do you guys think? I mean, I totally believe that Tesla had a death ray. Obviously. I think he probably tried to make one. Yes. <laughs> he was batshit. Totally. He, was... <laughs> he was completely batshit. Yeah, but... he was a real fucking weird dude. Yeah, he was. But it's just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so ah. for once I had a short story. <laughs> it's just such a weird... Like, It's just such one of those those weird freak things that happens... And then everyone scrambles to try to come up with a rationale for it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, most likely it was some sort of cosmic event that caused it. Um, yeah. Like, I can't really think of anything else with any amount of valid evidence that we could point to. But who knows? We, like, we still don't 100% know for sure. I love it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there's a there's a billion scientists that agree that it's a cosmic event. They just don't agree on how it happened. <laughs> so yeah, there we go. Woo! Ghosts, weird tree things in the forest. A dude who was a... weird. I got yeah. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to credit Nixium with preventing me from completely going overboard with this and trying to find something else to put in the story. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's the only time that sentence is ever going to be said. <laughs> yeah. Ever. The only, the only credit they're ever getting here. <laughs> well, they, they uh. do have things that, you know, you can mention they did good at. Mm. But that's a story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess we wrap this episode up. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. How, how are we signing off? <laughs> Read it out loud, you fat-headed gnome. <laughs> perfect and that's it for this week's episode next week bird is the word as i tell you about the great emu war and nathan tells you about the alaskan pimp that will become known as the birdman of alcatraz thanks again for listening rate and subscribe that really helps us out a ton and don't forget to follow us on twitter or facebook at the human exception all resources and additional information on these topics including all pictures and links mentioned in this episode can be found at our website thehumanexception.com. That's all for now. Keep being exceptional, humans. Mm -hmm.